no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. Verse 7. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. For the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. And on it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male or your female servant, or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth the sea and all that is in them, and he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honor your father and mother that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant, or his female servant, or his ox, or his donkey, or anything that is your neighbor's. The grass withers, the flower fades, and the word of our God stands forever. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you again for being with us. You have graciously and faithfully walked us through another week, and we are one day closer to glory. We pray that you would bless us now. And help us to understand your word and show us beautiful, glorious things from your law. And show us most of all, Jesus Christ, our gracious and perfect Redeemer. We pray in his name. Amen. Life. Think about the depth of that one simple word. Life. Besides our connection to Jesus Christ, life is the most important and precious thing in the world. Once it's taken away, it can't be given back. Think about the force or the implications of statements like these. Life without the possibility of parole. She lost her life in the accident. Think about the beauty of words like this. You are the love of my life. We rejoice at the birth, at the new life of our baby boy. Think about someone able to say, you actually saved my life. Or this has changed my life. The sixth commandment is about life. It's actually a window for us to look into the fact that Christianity is about life. It's not just about going to heaven when we die, which is incredible and amazing, but it's about the here and now. It's a beautiful reminder that we are called by God to protect, preserve, promote, to give life. We are called to live lives to the glory of God, to the honor of God, to enjoy God now and forever. But as we begin thinking about the sixth commandment, we have to remember that there is this perception in the world, a false perception. Some think that following God 
and living for God is effectively the end of their lives. No more fun, no more joy, no more uh, being what we really want. Becoming a Christian means effectively missing out on all the good stuff in life. That's a perception in our world. Maybe it's a perception that you've struggled with or struggle with now. But here is the reality. Christianity, the gospel of Jesus Christ, is an invitation for us to enjoy real life. To have our lives increasingly defined, marked, shaped by God's love and God's ways and God's law, which are the ways of life. Jesus said it this way, I have come that they might have life and have it abundantly. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So what I want to suggest to you this morning is is that the sixth commandment is about way more than murder. It's about life. It's about full life, abundant life, life in Jesus Christ. It reminds us that there's a difference between existing in this world and living in this world. So I want us to think about the sixth commandment together, kind of like you think about your college uh, syllabus Um, you remember in college there were classes you took your first year right they were intro classes uh, 101 102 and then as you started to develop into your major you took intermediate economics intermediate accounting that was where uh, things started to get difficult and then at the end you took an advanced class you took a senior seminar a capstone class and that's how I want us to think about the sixth commandment together. We'll start by the sixth commandment 101. What's the intro? What can we learn in the first uh, section of this class? Well, what does the sixth commandment say? On the most basic level, it's pretty simple. Do not murder. This is a benchmark of humanity. Murder is wrong but then as you come to the class maybe a week or two in you get to chapter two in the book you realize that these questions start to come up what if what about this what about that and this is where actually exodus 21 through 34 helps us Exodus 21 through 34 highlights some of the ceremonial law for God's people but it also highlights the case law which are applications of the Ten Commandments for the people of God. And so they help us answer specific questions. Um, So maybe things like this. What if someone dies in an accident? What if someone dies in an accident and the accident is caused by, by the negligence of someone else? What if your dog attacks someone and they die? What about war? How does that fit with the Sixth Commandment? What about being in the military? What about the death penalty? What about self-defense? What about abortion or suicide or abuse or neglect? See, the Sixth Commandment goes deeper and stretches further than we thought. We live in a fallen, complicated, messy world and God's law and God's love speaks to the issues of life. So a snapshot, some of the things that God uh, allows some of the the um, the areas where death is allowed, taking one's life is allowed is through capital punishment. It's through self-defense and a just war. And we won't go into all those details, but those are areas where 
uh, taking one's life is allowable. As we continue to understand and think about the sixth commandment, we need the gospel and wisdom. Here's the deal. Every human being is called to keep the sixth commandment, to honor life. Murder is wrong, period, for non-Christians and for Christians. But for believers, there is another layer. There's a distinction. Christians are called because we've been forgiven and accepted through Jesus Christ. We're called to keep the sixth commandment from our hearts, from the inside out. We'll talk more about that in a moment. The, the order matters, remember? I'm the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage, redemption, then obedience for God's people. What else do we need to cover in Sixth Commandment 101? We need to think about the image of God. Why is murder wrong? Well, it seems obvious. Uh, taking someone's life from them that you, could, that you could never repay, taking something from someone that you could never repay, that's, it seems obvious that that's wrong, but, but it actually goes deeper. The Bible tells us that the sixth commandment is sinful because we are made in the image of God. From the very beginning, we, we read that God created men, male and female, in His own image after His own likeness. And so when Cain killed Abel, he was really angry at God. You see, when we take one's life unjustly, murder is an attack and it's a front against God because human beings are made with this indelible mark this imprint, even after the fall, all human beings are created in the image of God. That's why it's wrong. So what is our positive charge in the, in the Sixth Commandment? It's to protect and preserve and defend life. Let's think about some details. That means we don't take life. We don't put ourselves in a position to take life unjustly so that means we don't drink and drive we don't make foolish decisions that put our lives or the lives of other people in jeopardy one of the things that we know about the sixth commandment is that it means we can't take the law into our own hands we aren't the judge the jury and the executioner vengeance is mine i will repay says the lord it also means that if we see someone's life is in danger, we can't ignore it. You remember the, the parable of the Good Samaritan that Jesus shared? He gives us a, gl a glimpse of our positive calling in regard to the Sixth Commandment. He says, love your neighbor as yourself. And then someone said, who is my neighbor? So Jesus told the story. Remember, there was a guy who was robbed and he was beaten and he was left for dead. And he was on the side of the road and a priest walked by and he just kind of whistled, maybe went to the other side of the street. I don't see anything here. Then a Levite came by and he thought to himself, we don't know, maybe I don't have time for this. But he kept going on his, on his way. And then a Samaritan came and he saw him and he had compassion on him and he went to him and he bound up his wounds and he set him on his animal and he took him to the inn and he paid for all of his expenses. And then Jesus asked, which one of these three do you think proved to be the neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? 
And he said, the one who showed mercy. Jesus said, you go and do likewise. Love your neighbor as yourself. And so let's think about some examples of where the Sixth Commandment comes into play in our lives. And these are just a few examples. We can't talk about all of them this morning. One that is probably close to a lot of us is the idea of abortion. It is a life issue. We know that life in the womb is precious. It's as precious as life outside of the womb. So we should seek to promote and protect the life of the vulnerable in our world. Think about those with special needs. Their lives are absolutely precious. They're valuable. One's worth is not measured by what they can produce or how much they know. We are called to produce, to promote and protect life in this world, particularly the life of the vulnerable. And as we read the Bible, we realize that Being pro-life means being concerned about life in the womb and being concerned about those with special needs. But as we read the Scriptures, we also realize that God charges us to promote and protect life, to remember other vulnerable people in this world. Orphans, widows, the poor, the outcast, the foreigner, those who are abused, those who are forgotten. God sees the invisible and God calls us to see invisible people as well and to love them. And so in in the sixth commandment, we have a burden and a privilege to protect and preserve and speak for and pray and give and serve those who have no voice, those who are forgotten. Why? Because they're human beings made in the image of God, and because God has explicitly commanded us to move toward them. And sometimes these people are in trouble because of their own selfish, sinful choices. Sometimes they burn their lives to the ground through things like addiction and crimes and sins against others. Sometimes these people are in these situations based on circumstances that are outside of their control, like orphans or widows or those that struggle with disability. How are we seeking to protect and preserve life? How can we as a church seek to protect and preserve life? And I'm not talking about a political agenda. I'm talking about the kingdom of God. This is one of the reasons that we support and connect with and volunteer with Piedmont Women's Center, a pro-life, pro-child, pro-mother, pro-family organization. It's why we connect with SWITCH, who is dedicated to fight to stop human trafficking, rescuing people from modern-day slavery. Yes, slavery still exists. It's why we are so proud and grateful to connect with Miracle Hill that provides foster care and adoption services, and homeless intervention, and addiction recovery. It's why we promote Metanoia Prison Ministry and other prison ministries. I I had a chance to connect with a friend this week who works for Metanoia, and he told a story about uh, being with a prisoner who has been converted in jail. And he was talking to him about the greatness of the gospel. And before he left, he said, he said, Paul, 
tell them, us, them on the outside, remind them that we're humans. Remind them that we're still humans. Remember what Jesus said about the judgment in Matthew 25 that He'll separate the sheep from the goats and then the King will say to those on His right, Come, you who are blessed by My Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you before the foundation of the world. Remember this, For when I was hungry, you gave Me food. I was thirsty, you gave Me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed Me. I was naked and you clothed Me. I was sick and you visited Me. I was in prison and you came to Me. Then the righteous will say to Him, Lord, When did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you drink? When did we see you a stranger and welcome you, or naked and clothe you? When did we see you sick or or in prison and visit you? And the king said to them, you know what he said. I say to you, as you did it to the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. Protecting and promoting life, brothers and sisters, is part of God's good plan for us. Personally, corporately, how are you serving? How are you connecting? How are you giving life in God's life-giving mission? And when we promote life, especially to people who don't deserve it and can't earn it and can't pay us back, it will blow their minds. And they will say, why are you doing this? No one's ever loved me and cared for me like this. Well, there's one reason. Because God has rescued me. And God has shown me grace through Jesus Christ. That's an overview of Sixth Commandment 101. What about intermediate? Everyone's scared about taking intermediate accounting. Well, intermediate Sixth Commandment teaches us this, the second point in the sermon, that it's not just about external obedience. The Sixth Commandment is actually about our hearts. It's not only about outward actions, it's about the heart. And so we have to think about the danger of anger. Remember what Jesus did in the Sermon on the Mount? He connects the dots. He equates sinful anger with murder. There's no way around it. There's a one-for-one connection. And we tend to think, what's the big deal? You know, I got mad, I blow off some steam... Jesus reminds us that anger and bitterness unchecked are deceitful and destructive. When we're angry and we bury it and we, we ignore it, we're tempted to think, you know, it just goes away. It's, it's gone. But it takes root. Hebrews 12 calls it the root of bitterness. And we know what this looks like. You've been wronged or someone you love has been wronged. We're hurt by the actions of someone else and we were tempted to hold on to anger and turn it over and over again in our hearts and our minds and it can grow in us. And, and the irony is that we think by being angry with someone we're punishing them, but anger is like this, this disease that grows from the inside and eats us up. Many times we think we're good at covering our anger and handling it. Keeping it under wraps, but then life presses in. And things don't go the way we want. And there are hard things that happen and we show our teeth. 
and we're mad. Some of us struggle with anger because we want to play God. We have control issues. Some of us have this low-grade or not-so-low-grade anger because our outlook about life in this world is shaded by discontentment. Some of us, for some of us, our anger is fueled by the fact that we forget and functionally do not believe that God is God and that He's sovereign over us. And so we're frustrated so much of the time. And when we live in that, that anger-filled frustration, it's tempting to see people in one of two ways. Good guys, bad guys. With us, against us. For us, opposed to us. And that's dehumanizing. Sinful anger tempts us to live with angry hearts and make no mistake, anger, sinful anger is murder. And when we hold on to anger, we're breaking the sixth commandment. But there is a solution. God's solution to anger is beautiful and powerful. It may not be immediate, but God has a plan. Here are some of the pieces. One, go to the person you've offended. And humbly confess and repent. Another piece of the puzzle could be going to the person who has offended you and humbly confront and seek reconciliation. These are good principles for all people, but they are non-negotiables for Christians. See, we are in the perfect position to give and receive forgiveness. Why? Because we've been forgiven and received by God. Jesus said it like this, Lay your offering at the, leave your offering at the altar, go and be reconciled to your brother or sister. Matthew 18 highlights another layer. If a brother or sister sins against you, go to him. And if he will not listen, take two or three people. But what are we tempted to do? Man, you're not going to believe what so-and-so said. You're not going to believe what they did to me. I can't tell you how many conversations I've had as a pastor and a person where people tell me things that have happened that are really hard and then what's my next question well have you talked to them well I know what they're going to say I know how they're going to respond the way they always do I guess you know better than God then our personal comfort and lack of wanting awkwardness in our lives sometimes trumps God's plan and commandment. And sometimes reconciliation isn't possible in this world. Sometimes things won't be resolved. I want you, I want to challenge you this afternoon, this evening, to go home and read Romans 12. It gives us a, a lot of insight into how to live into this. One of the things it says is this if possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all people. And then 1 Peter 5 says this. Clothe yourselves with humility and cast your cares upon the Lord, for He cares for you. So one of the things we, we have in our lives, we struggle with, is anxiety and fear. And we struggle with all these things. And it says here to cast our cares, our fears upon the Lord. But the first thing it says is to clothe ourselves in humility. So this is one of the keys to understanding and to letting go of the sinful anger in our lives. God's plan goes deeper than we think. It teaches our hearts. 
in our lives on the deepest level. That's intermediate. What about advanced? What about the senior seminar, the capstone class, about the sixth commandment? It's an invitation to go deeper in life and love. An invitation from God not just to exist, but to live. See, there are all kinds of things that we turn to that we think will bring us life. They're called idols. Money, sex, power, control, escape, comfort, or any other idol that we look to for satisfaction and fulfillment, the things that we live for that we think will make us happy, that's existing and not living. Idolatry is actually a slow death. So what does real life look like? Remember the movie Braveheart? Remember at the end, I'm sorry, spoiler alert, it's been out for a while, so I don't feel bad. Um, when William Wallace is scheduled to be executed the next day and the queen comes in and she says, I can't bear the thought of your death. Remember what he said? All men die, but not all men truly live. This is the senior seminar. This is advanced What does it mean to honor the Sixth Commandment? It means to find life in Jesus Christ. At its center, Christianity is a call to a living relationship with Jesus where we are washed and forgiven and accepted, justified, sanctified, glorified, born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, through our union with Him, our faith in Jesus Christ. This is our profession. We sing it. Hallelujah, all I have is Christ. Hallelujah, Jesus is my life. Because of His great love and sacrifice and commitment to us, we can truly live. We can make it our aim to know Christ and to press on to know Him and to grow deeper in our relationship with Him. It compels us to share the love of Christ with others, to take risks for the kingdom and for the King, to feed on His Word and prayer, to confess, to put sin to death. Jesus said it this way, I'm the vine, you're the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. So young people, adults, is Christ your life? Can you say, I've been crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live in the life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Is that your, your song? Is that your testimony? Life in Christ. Another piece of advanced sixth commandment is life together. One of the oft-neglected and most precious parts of life in Christ is life together. We were made for community, but so much of our lives are isolated and increasingly siloed. In Christ, we have this special eternal bond. We have a common denominator that we're saved by grace That we are part of God's forever family. And so we're invited and commanded to share our lives with one another. The joys, the sorrows, the ups, the downs, the good, the bad, the ugly. To embrace and cultivate communion with each other since we have union with Jesus Christ. And so when you come to church, get to know people. Don't talk to the same three people every week. Have folks in your home 
commit to small groups and Sunday school and men's and women's ministry and youth group and prayer meeting, serve together because Christ pursues us. We can live, we can truly live as brothers and sisters, life together. And the last thing is life for others. God calls us to life in Christ, to life together, and He also calls us to give our lives away. We are blessed to be a blessing. And the Gospel invites and empowers us to give our lives, to give our time, our money, our talents, our care and concern in the service of other people. Remember Philippians 2, look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. And as we serve by making meals and helping the hurting and calling those who need to talk to someone and teaching and doing all sorts of other things, God will transform us. God will remind us daily, and we need this reminder. He'll remind us that the world doesn't revolve around us. It doesn't revolve around me and my comfort and my agenda, but I get to be part of something bigger. And He'll transform us, and He'll help other people, and He'll give us opportunities to share the love of Jesus Christ, not only through our actions, but with our words, to talk about real life, the best life, abundant life. God is so serious about having and receiving and enjoying this life with us, that what did He do? He became one of us. He came down from heaven, even though we were running away from Him, even though we didn't want anything to do with God, He became a man. He became the God-man, Christ Jesus. And His love for us is so great that He lived on earth nearly 33 years. He humbled Himself into this fallen world, this sinful world, Yet he never sinned, and he marched into Jerusalem on that last week of his life, and he subjected himself, sinless God, to sinful men, to judgment and mockery and murder from sinful men. Even though they nailed him to the cross, he laid down his life. And even though they nailed him to the cross, what did he say? What was the first thing he said on the cross? Father, forgive them they know not what they do. He came to rescue and redeem sinners like us. You remember in Acts 2, the sermon at the day of Pentecost, Peter preached the gospel to some of the very same people that were there who yelled, crucify, crucify. And remember how he finished the sermon? Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. And when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. And they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Jesus forgave the very people that murdered him. Dear ones, we need that same forgiveness. You remember these words of the song? Ashamed I hear my mocking voice cry out among the scoffers. 
We need Jesus' blood to cover our malice and our anger and our gossip and our apathy and our prejudice and our bitterness. Dear ones, we are murderers. And we need Jesus. And God provides. John 20, verse 31. These things are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you might have life in His name. Let's pray. God, we thank you again for your faithfulness, your grace. We thank you that you saved sinners, sinners like us. We thank you that you redeemed Moses and David and Paul, men who physically took the lives of others. We thank you that you redeem us who have been filled with anger and outrage for things that we can't control. And I pray, Lord, that you would you would work in us your grace and help us to obey your commandments from the inside out. We thank you that your word still speaks powerfully into this world and into our lives. Pray in Jesus' name, amen.